96.3 FM, The Source. All right, 22 minutes. Is that right? 22 minutes before 10 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in. Nice looking Friday. We are keeping our eye on a weather system down there in Mexico, and uh, I guess we're going to get it by tomorrow or late tomorrow sometime. Uh, but th- it's going to rain today, too. But it has nothing to do with that system. And we don't think it's going to be that bad. Or we don't. Like I'm pretending I'm one of the weathermen. <laughs> they don't. They don't think it's going to be that bad. All right. One of the things that kind of boggles my mind is when I hear a celebrity campaigning against the Second Amendment. So if you were going to start a country... Um, and you said, you know what, I want this to be for you. You know, we're not going to be the government who tells you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. We're just going to kind of set some laws. You can't kill each other. You can't steal from each other. Kind of like the Ten Commandments, you know. We're we're just going to set up some basic rules. And you know what, you're going to have the right to defend yourself, not just from animals that might come in your yard, but and not just from the bad guys in your neighborhood that might try to hurt you or your family, but also from the government itself trying to take away your God-given rights, right? Mm-hmm. How is it possible that people don't understand what the Second Amendment is about and why it's there? I don't, I don't get that. And it's not just that. Freedom of speech, uh, there are people who want to compromise that. When you hear the divide in philosophy in this country between some people... And some other people, it almost makes you think, well, why don't we just split the country in half and tell all the people who agree on going to one side and all the people who agree with the other side go on the other side. Mm -hmm. And let's see which one is still around in 100 years. I'm I'm guessing the one that feels like entitlements are are a good idea. I mean, I mean, unrealistic entitlements. We have, you know, some realistic ones or reasonable ones, I should say. But unreasonable entitlements, it just get, I know, oh my gosh, I'm preaching to the choir, I know, with a talk show audience. Daniel Miller is on the phone. Listen to this. He's got a book called Texit. What do you think that means? Exit. Texit, like, like Brexit, Britain exiting the Union. Texas exiting the Union. Daniel is a sixth-generation Texan. He's the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement. He's an advocate for Texas independence. He's the co-operator with his wife, Kara, of Radio Free Texas, one of the first online outlets for independent music created in Texas. Oh, really? Uh, He's a featured guest on a lot of the big ones like CNN, BBC, RTTV, Fox News, CNBC, and he wants to talk to you about this. Um, Texas, why and how Texas will leave the union? Daniel Miller, this is interesting. Good morning, sir. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm great. Where are you? I- I'm in uh, southeast Texas, just right outside of Houston. So is the reason, are the things I said in my intro part of the reason why you think Texas should just go ahead and split from the country? Yeah, you know, I think I think that really feeds into it. I mean, one of the things that I, I talk about in Texas, and something that became very obvious to me throughout the 22 years that I've been advocating for this, is that Texans are really sick and tired of living under 180,000 pages of federal laws, rules, and regulations administered by two and a half million unelected bureaucrats that erode at our very basic freedoms and liberties. You know, at the end of the day, Texans believe that the best people to govern Texas are Texans. We, we have two shows uh, that we are affiliates of, and they both come out of Texas. One is uh, Glenn Beck, and one is Dana Lash. 
And uh, when you listen to them talk about Texas, you realize that Texas sounds like what the United States is supposed to be. So how do you guys uh, manage to do that when you are still under the thumb of the federal government? Well, it's it's not an easy proposition. I mean, let, let's be honest. The, the political class in Washington, D.C. make it extraordinarily difficult. But, you know, it, it really goes back to really the cultural foundations of Texas. You know, we operated as an independent republic uh, for nine years before joining the union. And uh, even before that, you know, we, we had to fight a revolution. Uh, you know, we when it when it came down to uh, a dictator in Mexico City uh, essentially overturning the constitutional rule of law and and sending the, the military to take our means of protection, uh, our our 19 people that lived in the city of Gonzales raised a flag that said, come and take it uh, and and defied uh, defied a dictator. So. You know, we have this this cultural backbone of of fighting for independence. It was even Sam Houston that said that the government that governs best governs least. I would I would speculate that if indeed Texas became a separate country, that a lot of people in what's left of the forty nine other states would move there because it's it would look more like what this country is supposed to be. Now, there, there, there would be those who believe, like, uh, I hate to name names, but like Nancy Pelosi seems to believe, and I think they would never move into Texas, but I think a lot of people would. I think, I think what this country is based on is exactly what you're saying. Am, am I right about that? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, we're already seeing uh, an influx of population into Texas, both, you know, if, if you want to really look at it, they're, they're essentially political and economic refugees, but... You know, one of the contentions that I make in the book is that, you know, obviously a lot of the challenges that we face with the federal government are, are not unique to Texas. Uh, but one of the things that I also do is, is I, dispel, I dispel this this myth that the right to leave the union is somehow unique to Texas. Uh, instead, it's, it's really a right that is enjoyed by every state. So my encouragement is uh, through this book, I mean, obviously I want to give folks a, an accessible method to understand what's really happening here in Texas on this this particular issue but really I would I would hope that people in other states would look at what our experiences are here with the Texas movement and and use it as an inspiration to to do a very similar thing with their own state has the state of Texas de- um, decreased their dependence on federal funds such as uh, fixing highways and things like that well, you know, uh, we're all essentially uh, tied into that particular system to one degree or another. But, you know, when we talk about dependence on federal money, uh, I think it's important to just do some math. And, and I actually lay that out in a, specifically in a chapter in the book. Uh, what, what we find is, is that Texas is one of about a dozen states in the union, give or take, year after year, that pays more into the federal government than we get out of it, either in uh, direct dollars, block grants, or services. Uh, in Texas, it's it's astounding the amount that we overpay. We overpay year on year somewhere between 100 to 150 billion dollars into you know more into the federal government than we get back out of it. That's that's essentially the, the uh, economic effect of a Hurricane Harvey hitting Texas every nine months. 
Oh my! Wow, that's an that's an interesting way to put it. So, so how? It sounds like you are sure this is going to happen. It's not just uh, a, a talking point that we're going to move forward, and and it's never going to be a reality. When do you think this might happen? Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, it's even in the title of the book uh, because I, I believe that it's an inevitability. I mean, obviously, as an advocate for for well over two decades now, I, I believe it is the best course of action. But one of the things that that I wanted to communicate to the readers out there and, and to folks that are taking a, a fresh look at this are some of the things that are happening politically. You know, whether it be the the growth of support, uh, the the sudden. Uh, the sudden appearance of Texas in political debates here and, and state-level candidacies, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of factors at play here that, that could lead one to believe, and as I do, that this is not just the best course of action for Texas, but it is absolutely the path that we will travel uh, at some point in the very near future. Are, the, are all of the political parties that come out of Texas are they all in agreement then? How would their political system work? Do they have people in place that are able to be a president on down the line? Well, that's that's really two questions. One, one is about where the support lies in the political parties, and the other is about the, the structure. And so let me take the second part first. Uh, all states, by virtue of the Constitution, are guaranteed a Republican form of government. So... Uh, you know, all states have their own constitution, their own governing bodies, and and strangely enough, all of those forms essentially mimic what a a, a republic that is an independent, self-governing nation state would look like. But really, to the first part of, of what you asked about supporting the political parties, what we find is that the political parties are essentially fractured on this issue, just like any other issue, and just like any political party in in any state. Uh, but one of the things that, that I think really escaped, it went under the radar, uh, but not for everyone, was back in 2014, uh, Reuters conducted a poll right around the time of the Scottish independence referendum. And they asked Texas voters if they believed that our state should leave the union and become an independent country. And, and what the results were were astonishing, especially given the electoral makeup of Texas. There were 54% of Republicans that supported it, half of independent voters, and 35% of Democrats. So, you know, if you, you lay those numbers over the way that Texans actually vote, uh, what you're looking at is just shy under a majority of Texans believe that Texas should leave the union, and it's about four to six percentage points more than those who wanted to stay. So really the battleground here, politically speaking, over this issue is that 12 to 16 points worth of undecided voters. Is it is it fair to say that the California exit uh, news that we've been hearing, those folks have an exact opposite reason for wanting to secede from what Texas's reasons are? Well, you know, it's it's inter That's another interesting aspect of this. And and although I did not write specifically about that uh, in the book, I can tell you from my experience in in dealing with these other independence movements, uh, both you know here in North America and around the world. Uh, is that, you know, if you look at it from a, a policy or a political ideology standpoint, I mean, it would be easy to make that jump and say, look, we're, you know, we're, we want to do the same things, but we want to do them for different reasons. And, and it's not entirely true. <clears throat> if you drill it down beyond sort of the superficial policy issue, 
what you find is the common thread among all of these independence movements, uh, not just you know right here, right now, but going back 70 years, is this right of self-government. You know, if you look at CalExit and Texit on paper, and then let's say you throw in Brexit or you throw in the Scottish independence movement, you know, on paper, they look very dissimilar, but with similar aims. However, when you drill it down, it's just essentially the people in those places believing that they would rather govern themselves than be governed by some bureaucrats someplace else that are as fickle as the political winds that are blowing them around. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you know, if Texas secedes, I think you guys will probably have a pretty good uh, military. Uh, if California secedes, I think any country in the world would be able to take it over. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't speak to that. You know, that's that's up to them to make their case. But but I will tell you that one of the things that, that we have seen commonly uh, among these independence movements is a desire uh, to to uh, have a a strong national security. I mean, no one wants to leave the safety and security of a political union only to fall. Right. Uh, but right. but what, what often we see is that, uh, you know, these, there are already, you know, mutual defense pacts and, you know, multinational military institutions that uh, these people can sign on to. You know, NATO is, is a great example where you have multiple countries that are engaged gotcha. in a mutual yeah. defense that, pact. That, but, that's the only way to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, our, our guest is uh, Daniel Miller, and his book is Texit, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union. We do have the phones being lit up, so if you're okay with taking calls, I'll, I'll uh, patch some of these through. Are you okay with that, Daniel? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, thank you for waiting, and good morning. You're on the air with Daniel Miller. Yes, good morning, good morning. Uh, now, if Texas would only allow uh, third parties to, to have ballot access in the state, uh uh, you might almost be perfect. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they only have two parties in Texas, and uh, yeah, my friend uh, um, Scott uh, Copeland is trying to uh, get ballot access for the Constitution Party, and some of my other friends uh, uh, want uh, access for the Reform Party and uh, and the Libertarian Party, and. Uh, the laws in Texas uh, are just about impossible to get the third parties uh, on the ballot. Mm. And I'll hang up and listen. Have a good day. Thank you. Daniel? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Texas Texas has its quirks. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things that that I have to to tell folks repeatedly uh, is that there is Texas is no promise of utopia. Self-government is no, no, uh, no promise of utopia. Uh, but but what it ultimately means is that whatever decisions we make here, whatever changes we make here, stay here and and cannot be overridden by some faceless bureaucrat someplace else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 to that point, I think it's important to understand is that when when referendums like this happen, uh, one of the things that you see is you know that on average the the voter turnout for these is about eighty five percent or higher. And one of that one of the things that it spurs on is a greater, um, I guess, a greater political awareness um, among the people. So when you have these debates surrounding, you know, whether uh, a place wants to stay or leave, you know, although people are, begin to ask questions and make assessments and reconsider their relationship of the state uh, versus the you know the larger union that they're in. 
The other thing that happens is the discussion and conversation begins to surround the issue of good governance across all spheres. So you begin to see these significant changes and significant debates not just happen in relation to the larger union and the question of whether to stay or leave, but also this desire and this thirst for reform and good government closer to home. Mm-hmm. What what kind of currency would uh, Texas have them if it if it does secede from the union, what what does it have now that it could back the currency? Well, and again, that's a that's another sort of idea that I had to really tackle in the book because there's there's this misconception that Texas Day One, Independence Day Plus One, uh, would have to have its own currency, and that's not entirely uh, correct. Uh, you know, Texas is well set to where we could do something like that, but you, you want to do these things in. In a, in a way that minimizes disruption, okay? So that's, if you look at all of the successful movements like this around the world, the ones that have fared the best on the other end have done everything they can to mitigate disruption across all spheres, political, economic. So, you know, the, what, uh, what I talk about in the book are some directions that Texas could go. Uh, you know, one of the things that that, uh, that Texas could do right off the bat is essentially establish an informal currency union with the United States. It's essentially a unilateral adoption of of the U.S. dollar for the transition period. However, that being said, uh, that doesn't that is probably not the best long term solution for Texas. The best long term solution for Texas would be the establishment of our own currency and a pullout of the United States dollar because, you know, as we know, uh, you know, $21 trillion worth of national debt plus, you know, another hundred and some odd trillion dollars worth of unfunded liabilities are going to come crashing in at some point. And, uh, you know, we're already seeing moves of, of foreign holders of U.S. dollars begin to dump them on the market. So, there, you know, there are some concerns there, but in the short term, it's uh, eminently doable. In the long term, Texas is going to have to do something uh, toward establishing its own currency would the uh the borders be the same as they as the state lines are now <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you know there there are you know there's this let, let me just put it this way and it, and it probably deals with a lot of these issues things stay the way they are uh until they no longer are the way that they are and i know it, it sounds like a silly statement but it's it's uh, essentially true uh, the borders of Texas are, are well-established and well-defined, not just the international border with Mexico, but the borders with the rest of the states. So, you know, there's there's nothing that would precipitate a change in that regard. Well, and the only reason I'm asking, again, because California does not follow their own state line with their exit uh, dis, uh, consideration. They're, they're cutting their place up, is, mm-hmm. is what it looks like to me. So what would, what would prevent a civil war? Uh, or, I mean, are we set up as a country to allow states to, to secede from the Union without a civil war? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's not the 1860s anymore, and, and I, I love it when the opposition loves to throw the Civil War card down and say, you know, this would cause civil war. Well, I'm not uh, opposition, but, by the way. I'm just, I just no, wondered no, no. about it. <laughs> That's a good no, I know. Uh, but I just wanted you to, to understand that it's it's something that, that those that are opposed to, they, that is one of their first go-tos. I mean, beyond the, it's unconstitutional. You know, they love to throw that one out first. Uh, but, you know, the, the fact is, it's just not 1860 anymore. You know, things are are not handled in the way that they were back then. Uh, but, but really, there are two reasons why I believe that this won't happen. No, number one uh, is that 
since the Civil War, the United States has entered into uh, many covenants and agreements and treaties that respect and protect the right of, of self-determination. So, you know, you've got a, a great example where the United States went over and literally fought for Kosovo's independence, um, but yet they, if, you know, if they failed to support uh, any state leaving the Union, uh, there would be such an international backlash that it wouldn't happen. So, you know, the other part of that is the response of the United States military. Now, there was a zombie poll a few years back where they actually asked uh, active duty military and their families if they believe that that leaving the union was an absolute right and just shy under half of the united states military active duty and their families believe that it was a right well if that's the case then they're viewing it when they talk about it as an un, a fundamental right they're looking at it as the same kind of right as freedom of speech freedom of religion right mm-hmm. to keep and bear arms uh you know the rights against illegal search and seizure so uh, essentially, they view it on par with any of the the rest of the rights within the Bill of Rights. So now you've got half of the military that if the federal government decided to impose a military response, they would have to deal with the fact that half of their military believes that it is both immoral and illegal. And and that that provides a whole new set of challenges from, from the war fighting side of it. So... Uh, you know, it's just, it's impractical. At, at the end of the day, the best course of action is for us to shake hands and leave us friends and continue to trade and yeah. send one another yeah. and travel amongst one another. Yeah, I but, but let the bureaucracy stay in D.C. and let Texans govern themselves. The book is called Texit, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union. Daniel Miller wrote the book, and he is uh, the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement. Uh, the book is on uh, Amazon, where it's getting good reviews. And do you have a website you can mention real quickly? Absolutely. Uh, They can uh, visit me at texasnationalist.com. Okay. Daniel Miller, thank you so much. Uh, Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Hey, thank you. Y'all have a great weekend as well. Okay, we'll be right back. Fox News Radio. I'm Chris Foster. Harvey Weinstein is led from a police station in handcuffs in New York. The former movie mogul turned himself in to face criminal charges including rape involving two women. They're among dozens of accusers. The rape charge relates to a woman who has not spoken publicly or been identified. Weinstein stepped out of a black SUV and turned himself in to the NYPD's first precinct. 